All of the time. All of the time you are good. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah. Well, I, I start sermons with good morning. And um, it, it is true that it, that it is a, a good morning because this is the day that God has for us. And so today, if, if you have Bibles, uh, I hope you do, you can turn to 1 Peter. We're going to be in chapters, um, or chapter 1, verses 3 through 9 today. Um, and as we do that, I, it, God's plan is always different than ours, right? Um, and so uh, we were going to preach on hope. And, you know, I, I tend to be a relatively humorous guy, but I don't know if that's going to be uh, what I'm going to bring today. Because I think what's important for us is to recognize that, that we absolutely need hope. And, and on a day like today, we need hope more than probably any other day. Because like I said in, in my prayer, um, some of you know Brandon and, and Heather, and, and some of you don't. But all of us have a deep sense of, of longing that, that how the world is today how the world has been for the last two years, or maybe the last several decades, or however long, however the world is, there is a longing in us that says, there has got to be something better than this. There has got to be something better than this. And so in order to, to, to look towards that, we need to have hope. And I want us to, to close and know today that we, that we do have hope. But I want you to ask yourself as we begin, where have you rooted your hope? Because I think when we have tragedies like we had last night, or we have giant world events over the last couple years that have unsettled things, I think we come to these moments where we realize that our, our roots of hope are maybe a little too shallow. They're not built to endure storms. They're not built to endure adversity. And so it is these moments of pain, these moments of trial, where what you've rooted your hope in gets, gets realized. And I think we find ourselves often in places lacking. And so we need to be rooted in a, in a life and a hope that, that flows from a life giver. We need to have hope that's, that's greater than, than the headlines or greater than the announcement that Matt just made. And so we desperately need hope even more when times are difficult. We need good news greater than our current events. We need to have hope that's rooted in something that's real and something that's true. And we need something that's, that's rooted in the eternal. Because when you're rooted in something that is big and transcendent, it helps you endure and not be reactive to the temporary. When you're rooted in the transcendent, you don't have to get unsettled by the temporary. If you're a Christian, our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our identity, our purpose, our design, our destiny is in Jesus Christ. And that means that we have a truth that is both timely and transcendent. That Jesus is the same yesterday, last night, today, and tomorrow. So, here in 1 Peter... Peter's this apostle. He was a guy that, that ran with Jesus for years. He um, was an epic failure, but also an effective leader. And he's writing to these churches who are scattered all across kind of this, this Roman um, area uh, uh, that, that was kind of away, an outpost from kind of the main city. 
And these people were called the elect exiles. Because he's like, hey, you're God's chosen people, but you're in a place that doesn't feel like God's kingdom. It doesn't feel like a forever home in heaven. It feels more like you're in exile, and yet you're chosen by God, chastised by the world. And so they were a people of great longing, a people who were desperately unsettled by the world around them. And Peter's here to give them some real and living hope. And so that's what we're going to do today, looking at these verses. I've broken it up into three sections. We're going to look at where hope takes us. We're gonna look at some hope for the present and then we're gonna finally rest in the faithfulness of God. I love that song that uh, we sang right before this and I hadn't heard that before, it's pretty phenomenal. Um, here we go, First Peter 1, three through five says this. Again, writing to people who are suffering. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Okay, let's stop here. I'm calling this section Future Hope for Former Sinners. In order for us to have an accurate view and picture of hope, then we, we need to understand what our current condition is. And if you're apart from Christ or, uh, or, or just all of us in our nature have sin, and you can call it brokenness, and you can call it you know, habits and hangups, you can call it whatever you want, but what the Bible calls it is sin. And what it does is it separates us from relationship with God and communion with him. It separates us from one another. And I think we all know how that goes, right? You've wronged somebody and you're like, mm, they've wronged you. You're not like, yeah, I mean, you're doing your Christmas card list. And there's people this year who aren't making it from last year, right? You're editing out like, oh, I sent them one last year, but they're not on the list this year. It's because there's some sin. There's some separation. And then even in our own lives, there's, there's shame where when we've sinned or we recognize there's something not right in us, it leads us to not want to be our full selves with those around us. And he's saying that's, that's your condition apart from God. That we're not recipients and conduits of grace. We're, we're, uh, Paul says that we're actually vessels of wrath, which is not good news, right? But there is great news in this first verse because he's saying, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes right to God's character, God's great mercy. Mercy is not getting the justice that you deserve for sin. It's also a word that translates um, into a steadfast love and kindness. That is God's disposition for you and for me, even in our sin. And so if, if we were gonna define hope as this, that hope is the anticipation of a better future than our current reality. I'll say it again. Hope is an anticipation of a better future than our current reality. Then let's start with the baseline of knowing where we're at. And then let's have some hope for where we're going. He says that you're born again. That actually means born from above. That we have a spiritual rebirth with new life. And then he says your hope is in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That that our only hope in life is de in death is that we are not our own, but we are the Lord's. And if, if we are in Christ, if we are Jesus' people, then we have hope in a resurrected God who says, hey, death for you is actually not going to be the end. Death for you is not going to be justice. 
Death for you is actually going to be mercy. And that's great news. In a God who can look death in the face, suffer, endure, and say, that's not the end. That's not the end of the story. It's the beginning of a new chapter. So we have a hope that's rooted in the character of God. That means that when our hope is rooted in the character of God, that that our hope's not in something that we've earned. You can't earn hope. You can't be like, well, okay, I've I've done all the right things, and so, so I feel like I've got a better future ahead of me because of what I've done. No, he's saying because of the mercy of God, because of God's character, that is where we have hope in. See, without Jesus, there, there isn't hope. The reason I say that there's no hope without Jesus is because if hope is going to be the anticipation of a better future, then I have to tell you that in sin, your future is not better if it's not in Christ. And what I mean by that is hey, you might have some really awesome moments here in this life. And you might, you might go out on top. But your eternity is not with the one who created you. Your eternity is not with the one who designed you. Your eternity is not with the life giver. Your eternity is separated from him. And so you end up being hopeless because at the end of your days, your destiny isn't paradise, but is destruction. But God is gracious. God is gracious. Like, I I want God to be just because I know there's sin in the world. I know there's evil in the world and I want God to punish evil. But when it comes to myself, I don't want that. I want grace. I want God to judge me based on my intentions, not what I did. That's what we all want. And And God is like, no, no, I'm actually just. I do take sin seriously. I do take evil seriously. There is an answer for that. But my character's mercy. My character's grace, meaning getting something that you have not earned. And so it's more than just saving us from the consequences of sin. I mean, that's, that's good news. When they say, hey, your hope's in the resurrection of Jesus, I want you to know that Jesus is not just uh, like a good advice. Jesus is not just a good teacher. We do believe that Jesus is our substitute. Jesus is our sacrifice for our sin. And it's okay to, to start with belief with understanding, hey, my faith is in Jesus because I want to have a better eternity. Because I don't want to suffer for my sin. I want to be known by Jesus who suffered for me, for my sin. But he does more than that. And I want to say more, I don't want to undersell that. But, but he gives us more than just hope for an eternity. He gives us hope now because he says, you've been made new. When he says born again, like I said, that meant born from above. It means that you are not defined by your worst day. You are not defined by who you are today coming into this place. That you're defined by what Jesus has done for you and, and his, what the Bible calls his righteousness, his perfection, his good works. That has been given to you in Christ. That when you're a Christian, it's what Martin Luther called the great exchange. You give God your sin, he gives you his righteousness. And so what that means for for hope is like, you don't have to think you're going to have a better future based on how well you can change yourself. Based on 
your efforts to grow in vain. Um, we are a month away from all of us making New Year's resolutions, and we're a month and a week away from all of us failing on those resolutions, right? Like, like how hopeless is January 10th? January 1? It's great. It's awesome. I'm pretty sure the Huskies are going to be in the Rose Bowl. I know who's not going to be in the Rose Bowl? The Ducks. And so I'm super, super happy for that, okay? I'm a Washington guy. Sorry. I can't, I can't let that out. But how hopeless is that? When you're like, no, no, I gave it my best. I, I recognize the problem. I know I needed to change, and it didn't change. Thank, thank Jesus, you're not defined by your efforts to grow, but you're actually defined. He says, no, I've made you new. You're no longer the person you were before. If you're not a Christian and you came in this morning, like, know that the hope for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is not just your eternity, it is your present. It is that you do not need to be defined by who you are now or what you've done in the past, but you get to be defined by what Jesus did on the past and the cross for you. He's your savior. He's your substitute. And he says, I'm, I've made you new. And as you grow, you're being made new. That means that we don't have to be slaves to our sin, slaves to our brokenness. All right, I'm gonna keep going. I also want you to know that Jesus is our living hope. He doesn't just say hope, right? Hope sometimes we define as optimism, and that's not fair because it's not realistic at times. He's saying, no, you have a living hope because Jesus died and rose again. So he's, that means you have a hope that's active. Or your hope is not in an idea. Your hope is not in a political party. Your hope is not in a worldview. Your hope is in a person. That person is Jesus. Jesus is alive. And so that means that hope is never dead. It means it's a hope that's present. It means in the Holy Spirit, it's a hope that can bring comfort even in the midst of tragedy and of trial. It means when we need hope, when we desire hope, we can call out for hope and for comfort and we can know we will receive an answer because our hope is living and active. Jesus gives us hope that we're made new. He gives us hope because he's alive and active. He also gives us a great hope in our future destiny. I want you to know that if you're in Christ, you have hope for an inheritance, it says. And so, um, over Thanksgiving, uh, me and my kids and my parents, we watched Knives Out. Anybody seen the movie Knives Out, right? Uh, the, the family is about to get an inheritance because dad passed away and, and they all want the big house and everything. And I think when we think about the term inheritance, we all wish that maybe we had some distant uncle that we didn't know that, that doesn't have kids and that like we never even had a relationship with so we're not sad that he's gone, but he passes on and then you get, you get an inheritance. And you're like, well, I didn't earn it. That's great. But we think of inheritance as, as money to spend or wealth. But what he's referencing here, see, Peter grew up in a, in a Jewish home. He knew the Old Testament story of God's people. He's actually talking not about wealth to spend, but a place to dwell. In the Old Testament, God tells his people that their promised land is their inheritance. 
When, when you start those Bible reading plans in the next few weeks and you start finding your way, hopefully you, you keep going on that part of it, right? And you find your way in, into to numbers and, and, and you're like, there's all these uh, this landmarks and there's all these people named, there's all these borders. What's that all there for? That's God describing to his people, I have a specific inheritance for you. And it's a place to belong. It's a place to dwell it's a place to be in communion with God and his people. That's what he's talking about. And, and God's people, I'll, I'll just let you know, um, they, they got that promised land. If you know the story of the Bible, it's like, yeah, Exodus happens. They come out, they, 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 they wander in the wilderness, they get the promised land. And you're like, all right, things are going great. We can just kind of close this story up, right? Except that God's people weren't faithful. We're just saying on and on about God's faithfulness. And the reason we think, sing about God's faithfulness is because we all understand our unfaithfulness. God's people, just like us, they were unfaithful and the kingdom died and the people were taken into exile. And so as God's people who are identified as the church at this point are getting word from Peter that they need hope. He wants to remind them that while you're scattered in, in, in a Roman province, feeling like, this, gosh, this is for sure not a Christian nation. Like, I speak the language, but I don't get the people. He's like, I want you to know that your eternity and your destiny ends with you in a place to dwell, a place to belong, a place to be a part of a community, a place that includes God and his people. And so um, we need hope for a kingdom that always gets better because any of us that are students of history know that like empires rise and nations fall. And so there's arcs where it's like, hey, things seem to be getting better, then they peak and then things get worse. You can't be a hopeful person anticipating a better future if you know even if things get good, they're gonna not get good. So he describes the inheritance, the, the place, the people in, in, in these three words and these four attributes. The first word is, is this. He said you're gonna, you're gonna have this promised future inheritance that's better than today and the first word he uses is imperishable. It means that it's a kingdom and it's a place that will never end, that will, will never perish. Like You don't have to worry about the ascendancy of China and what does that mean for the world order. You don't have to worry about conflict in Ukraine and the Soviet Union. You don't have to worry about the Great Reset or worry because the Democrats won again or the Republicans are still being super nationalistic or whatever. whatever. Like, you don't have to worry about any of that. Because you don't have to worry about a greater kingdom coming because he's saying you're going to be going into the greatest kingdom. Like that gives us hope because it, it stays our fear. It shuts down your fear because you don't have to be worried about the kingdom going away. Then that future, when, when we get to that future, we can exhale. Tears and fears are over. They are no more because it's a kingdom that doesn't end. The second word he says is undefiled. That it's a, it's a place of purity. 
And purity is not a word we use too much, and certainly not in our, in our, in our culture, right? What, what purity means is, a, is a great integrity. Yes, holiness for sure, but it's not like stuffy. It means, like I said, great integrity where, where people have been made clean by God. So when I said earlier that when you're born again, you're made new, part of that is what the Bible calls sanctification, where he's like, I've, I've made you clean, that sin and that abuse that you suffered that just makes you feel dirty, the gospel cleans that. Jesus' blood cleans that. So when you enter into the kingdom, like none of us are perfect now, but when we enter into the kingdom and in our final inheritance, God said, I've made you new, I'm making you new, I made you clean, you are now clean, and you're entering a kingdom that is clean. So that means that Nothing you have suffered is going to be brought in to that kingdom. Those horrible memories, that trauma you've experienced. The prophet Isaiah says, the former things will not even be remembered. There are all things we wish we would have forgotten. And in that kingdom, we won't even be defiled with the bad memories of things that we've done or that have been done to us. It's a place of zero sin, but it's also a place with zero possibility for sin. How much more joyful and hopeful could you be if you were in a place where you knew sin could not impact? That's the hope we have for this inheritance. And then he also says it's unfading. That the kingdom is glorious and radiant and beautiful. It doesn't get better and peak and decline, but in fact, it only gets better and better and better. Um, my wife and I this summer got to go to an all-inclusive resort in Mexico. Um, I don't know what heaven is like, but I'm pretty sure it is like an all-inclusive resort in Mexico um, because you 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 show up. We got off the plane and I was so excited. There's like these cabanas and there's like a party happening, and I was like I was like, babe, let's let's party, we're here in Mexico. She's like, this is the airport parking lot. I was like, but the music. And she's like, we don't drink the water here. I was like, okay. I was like, this is great. Then we get to the hotel and there's a big entryway. And again, their music's going and they want to give you a cocktail. And I'm like, let's go. She's like, this is the foyer. We haven't even checked in yet. And then we walked out. And we saw the pool and we saw the beach. And, and I'm just, I'm, I'm t telling you about a progressively getting greater kingdom. And so that we, we get there and, and, we, and we go in and um, we met some friends there and we were, we were starving. And my wife was super hungry. And she's like, I want all the tacos. She just said all the tacos. And so they, they and she thought there was like maybe two or three types. No, there's like 10 types of tacos. So these giant trays of tacos came out. And like day one, I was like, these tacos are amazing. And then somebody told us, about another taco stand on the other side of the resort where the tacos are even better. And we had those the next day. The point of me telling you this is, I think heaven is a place where the tacos get better every single day. Where every day you're like, yesterday's tacos were great, and you wake up and you go and you're like, these tacos are amazing. That's what he's saying about an unfading glory. How hopeful would you be if you knew every single day was going to be better than the day before? that on bad days, it's not going to be like this. On your greatest day, you don't have to worry like, was this as good as it gets? He says an unfading glory. And then finally, it says that it's secured by God. 
that we have hope of a future with God that is protected by God. It's safe and it can't be lost. It's secure. That our final destination is an eternity with God. And so that, that's good news for tomorrow, okay? Like I, I want us to have a forward-looking view of hope, a forward-end-story-looking view of how history goes, but we need some hope for today too. And what I love about the Bible is that it's very realistic about our present day and condition. He says this. We're going to look at verses 6 and 7. It says this. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it be tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is Peter talking to people who are in great suffering, trying to give them an enduring hope for the future, and then saying, and I understand that today is really hard. I understand that today is painful. I understand it doesn't feel like the beach in Mexico. It feels like a scorching fire. I understand that it feels like you're getting burned right now. He's talking about joy in the trials, and he's saying, today is hard. And then he uses this word grieved, talking about the trials. And that word isn't about how difficult the trial is, meaning like how much strength you need to get through it. It's actually a word about the emotions you experience in the midst of trial. He's saying you were grieved. Your soul hurt. It's so important for us to engage with hope, to, act, to start with being realistic about the pain that's suffered. That emotions are real. That for sure we're not to be people who are ruled by our emotions, but heaven help us if we're people who are numb or disconnected from them. After the last couple years of the, the mental health of our collective society, I think we realize we have not done a good job of processing our emotions. So when you have grief and you don't process it and you just push it down and shove it down, it doesn't go away, it just comes out in really unhealthy ways. And you pop off at other people. Or you do things that are unhealthy. If we ignore them, they don't go away. Grief is like any other emotion. It needs to be named. It needs to be expressed. It needs to be experienced. It needs to be processed. Um, grief, I want you to know, is an important part of our journey, but it is not our destination. So on our road trip down here, my wife and I, like, I was very, very glad to find a rest area at a point where I needed a rest area. But at no point have I ever been on a trip where I go to a rest area, as necessary as it is, and been like, this is where I want to dwell. This is, I, I, I got my, my tent, I got my motor, I'll just stay here. Because we're not meant to dwell in grief. But if you go right past that rest area where grief was supposed to be processed, grief's not in the rear view, it is a cloud that hangs over you. It has to be dealt with. And eventually, if processed, it leads to greater resiliency and ultimately rejoicing. Um, this section's a lot like um, 2 Corinthians 4, where Paul says that a light and momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory. When we're in the midst of suffering, when we're ex experiencing tragedy, nothing about it seems light and momentary. So it means it requires us to change our perspective to look eternally. That what we see is affliction and death and discouragement. We don't get defeated because 
because we know that's not the end of the story. He says, it's okay to be grieved now. It's okay that you've gone through these trials. When we face trials and they cause us grief, they're, they're like, don't let Christians say like, hey, you know, hey, you should just be happy, like, right? rejoice in all things and I'll always rejoice. Process the grief, feel the pain, but like I said, don't live there. Recognize that it helps with endurance. That to have hope, the anticipation of a better future, does require some patience, does require some endurance. But because our hope isn't in our current circumstances, it means that no matter what our circumstances are, we can have hope because it's not based on a belief about right now, it's based on a God who's with us right now, but a future eternity that's better than what we have now. He also says that that hope is for refinement. I love that, uh, that Peter uses the language of fire because fires can scorch and fires can burn and they can seem purposeless, but fire in the hands of an artisan produces something beautiful and amazing. It forges something where imperfections are burned away, where, where the intents and purposes of the artisan are revealed in the fire. So many of us want to grow and change and mature, but we don't want to go through the forge that is required for us to grow and change and mature. Right? Two things can be true at the same time. I want things to be different. I want to grow. And I hate change. Sometimes, sometimes, the fires we go through are to help prepare us and produce in us the change that God wants for us. That know that while the fire's hot and it does burn, when you have faith and hope in God's character, we can know that our suffering is never purposeless. Because we have a God who let his son suffer in Jesus Christ for a purpose. Jesus, it says, for the joy set before him, despising the shame, endured the cross. Jesus hates your shame more than you do. He suffered for you so that you could have life now and life forever. And that leads us to our last verses as we close. I want you to know that fire can be purposeful. These last verses are this, verses eight and nine. Though you've not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible, filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is hope in something you cannot see. We have an unseen God, but we do not have an uncertain outcome. Our faith is in a Jesus we can't see, but our hope is in an outcome that is secure and assured. And so, Peter's encouraging and he's empathetic to these churches who are discouraged. And Peter's a guy who, I mean, he saw it all. He walked with Jesus. He saw the miracles of Jesus. He heard the teachings of Jesus. He, he laughed with Jesus, he wept with Jesus, and then he saw Jesus enduring something that he didn't deserve. He saw Jesus 
falsely accused. He saw Jesus betrayed. He saw Jesus go through the greatest cosmic tragedy imagined, that, that God's people would kill God's son. He saw Jesus beaten and bloodied. He saw Jesus dead and buried. And he saw a tomb that was empty. And he met with a Jesus who was resurrected. And in Peter's greatest failures of denying Jesus, he was restored by a Jesus who says, Peter, I, I love you and I know you love me. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Peter, I'm not done with you. Your sin and your future death, those are buried in the tomb, but your life with me is resurrected. Peter, I've got mission for you. I've got purpose for you. Peter, your greatest days are ahead of you. Even though Peter's greatest days were going to include suffering. Peter got martyred at the end of his story, but his hope was an inheritance that was forever. His hope was in an inheritance that would never fade. And so Peter knows that tension of, I know what eternity looks like. I want to get there. Today is hard. And this is the day that God has for me. And this is the path that God has for me. I don't know what today has for you. But if you came in this morning and you don't know where your eternity is, I would just encourage you. I would implore you not to, not to fight, but to surrender. To receive mercy and grace that comes when you place your faith in Jesus Christ. If you came in today and you're like, yeah, I'm already a Christian. I've, I've, yeah, my, my eternity is secure. I want you to know that you have a real, living, active hope God is present with us in the midst of suffering. That as in a few moments here, you're gonna take communion. And if you're a Christian, that, that's, we get to look back at God's past character, his past work, to give us hope and endurance for today that our eternity is secure when we simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are with us. God, you are for us. Lord, this is a difficult day, but God, none of, nothing about today is this a surprise to you. Lord, we do pray for comfort, for a peace that surpasses all understanding. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use your word to stir up new life in hearts that have been hard or hearts that need to be renewed. Lord, give us hope for today. Give us endurance for today and help us be reminded that our secure inheritance is with you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen, thank you.